you're here, you already sense there's something out there, something magical and mysterious, just waiting for you to find. And you've probably already discovered it isn't as easy as just thinking happy thoughts. You're not alone. Generations of shamans, philosophers, seers, and scientists have pursued this eternal quest. Where their ideas come together, you'll find powerful tools to cultivate magic and self-mastery in your own life. Welcome to the Magic and Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Donna Woodwell. I'm a former journalist, an author, a master astrologer, and a hermetic initiate, and it's my honor to be your guide. In each episode, I'll meet you at the crossroads of science and spirit, reason and intuition to help you discover the wisdom that works for you. Are you ready? The adventure awaits. Welcome back to the Magic and Mastery Podcast. This is episode 27, The Essential Tarot. We are changing things up for some of the future episodes of my Magic and Mastery Podcast. Starting with this one, we will be adding in some shows that focus on audience questions. The questions people ask most about magic and self-development and all other things mystical. And since this is our first foray into the format, we thought we'd start at the beginning. And the great place for anybody who's starting to learn metaphysics is always to work with the tarot. So I asked my assistant Robin to use her SEO marketing skills to go out and find the top questions that people ask about tarot and look at what people in my own Magic and Mastery Coven have asked about it and come up with a list of six questions that seem to be the ones that are most engaging for people and I will answer them all. But before I begin, don't forget to visit this episode's show notes at www.magicandmastery.com slash podcast, because that's where I keep all of the links as well as timestamps for everything that we're talking about in this episode, all in one handy place so that you don't have to surf around to find exactly what you're looking for. Again, that's www.magicandmastery.com slash podcast. And with that, away we go. I fully own it. I was completely late to the tarot party. Now, when I moved here to Austin, Texas to start graduate school, of all things I moved in across the street from was a New Age bookstore. At that point in time, I had zero interest in New Age thought of any kind whatsoever. But, you know, a bookstore across the street, where else am I going to wander into? Because I have always loved books. And one of the first purchases I ever made was of a tarot deck. I brought it home, I read the little book, I looked at the pictures, and I felt nothing. No resonance whatsoever, and I ended up giving the deck away. I just didn't see the point. Having to memorize a whole book of meanings in order to answer simple questions, or worse, having to look up every single card in the book, felt very clunky. Now, eventually I went on to study shamanism and learned astrology and learned other kinds of magic. I never really got back to tarot. It felt like I had so many other options for connecting to the divine within me and the world. It just didn't seem relevant. Until one day I was on this trip to West Texas 
there was a used bookstore, and I picked up a kind of beaten pink copy of a book called Tarot Symbolism by Robert O'Neill. I found a corner of the bookstore to curl up in and started flipping through the book. And he started to talk about the history of the creation of tarot. And for the first time, I began to get a glimmer of what tarot actually was. A kind of primer for the Western esoteric tradition. The mysteries as we define them in our Western occult tradition. And at that point in time, I completely reevaluated my entire impression of, a, of tarot within the span of about 20 minutes. So of course I took the book home. I would later meet someone who uh, was in charge of one of the tarot associations who said that that was one of the pivotal books that also changed their world. I didn't realize it was a popular thing. It was just in a dusty corner of a bookstore when I picked it up. But now it's why I am so committed to helping people learn more about what tarot is. Because yes, it makes a great divination tool for each one of us. Unlike astrology, which of course has a special place in my heart, tarot also has a philosophy built in from the very beginning. That philosophy is there too if you dig a lot deeper into astrology, but for tarot, you need to deal with it at the outset or tarot doesn't make sense at all. And for that reason, I think it is one of the best gateways for anyone who wants to approach their life from a more magical perspective. So let's look at these six questions that Robin has picked for me, go through some of the answers and see what the implications might be for your practice and mine. So let's start with question one, the obvious. What is tarot? Well, here's the deal. On the surface, tarot is just a divination tool that helps you unlock your own intuition. Uh, if you want to get technical about it, it taps into what Carl Jung once called the power of synchronicity. That's when two things happen to correlate in a meaningful way. And this instrument helps you to discover the answers to your most meaningful life questions. So you really don't need to know any more than this to make tarot actually work for you. You can pick up a deck and trust yourself that whatever you feel and see when the cards hit the table is true for you in that particular moment. You are well on your way of establishing a tarot practice for yourself. It is that simple. It's just that most people don't trust themselves well enough to just be able to take a pick up to just be able to pick up a deck and go. And really that's just the surface level of what tarot can be because it is so much more, especially for those seekers, those who want to know more about how um, the Western culture and, and other cultures as well have talked about the big questions of life, like how did we get here and what does it all mean? So while tarot started as a card game 
designed by an unknown Renaissance artist more than 500 years ago. That card game has got an extra fifth suit that sets it apart. And it's in that fifth suit of cards, kind of like trump cards for a game that's played kind of like bridge. Those trump cards became like a kind of cliff notes version of the entire Western esoteric tradition. You know, those images, in a way, encode the entirety of Western philosophical ideas from astrology to alchemy to Gabal to Kabbalah and more in like handy visual flashcards that are perfectly suited to not just divination, but also to meditation and magic. In other words, tarot is a kind of symbolic primer on things like how did we go from a divine creatures to having a human experience? How do we do magic? Really, even the Western path to enlightenment. Yeah, all that. And so you can see how understanding the language of tarot goes far beyond answering your immediate questions, though it can do that too. It can also help you explore the big things, not only about how we all got here, but how we can return home to our divine origins while we are still incarnated as humans. Now, to me, that's epic, but I hope that for you, it sounds pretty cool too. On, <clears throat> on to the next question. What are the RWS cards and how is their meaning different from others? Excellent question. You know, sometimes when you're on the internet, you see all kinds of abbreviations and you're not exactly sure what, you, what they mean. Now, as I said a moment ago, the tarot began as a card game in the Italian Renaissance. They're basically a regular deck of playing cards onto which is added a fifth trump card suit. And it's this fifth trump card suit that inspired later occultists who gave them the nickname the Major Arcana, which you know loosely translates as the big hidden secret or the big secret few people know. So this prototype tarot deck it was used as divination fairly consistently since the Renaissance all the way through to the current era. But in the early part of the 20th century, occultists associated with the Golden Dawn, which was a metaphysical society based in London, England, um, decided to incorporate many of the Golden Dawn's hermetic practices into the tarot cards. Now, there's a long history of this happening over time, but it's really the Golden Dawn ones that we want to talk about right now because the founders of the Golden Dawn commissioned one of their members who was an artist uh, whose name was Pamela Coleman Smith, working in tandem with Arthur Waite to redraw the cards to be more in line with their own orders magical hermetic teachings. And while the major arcana cards are largely recognizable to their precursors from the original tarot decks, her uh, Pamela's big innovation was to add images to all of the minor arcana, the pip cards in a normal playing deck. And 
both of those, their meanings were more closely aligned with not only the Golden Dawn tradition, but most specifically the Hermetic Kabbalah and its Tree of Life magical symbol. And when you abbreviate the names of Arthur Waite, W, and Pamela Coleman Smith, S, and you add in an R for the publishers of the deck, you get the RWS deck. So anytime you see the RWS deck, they are talking about this early deck from the beginning part of the 20th century that became a kind of crossroads from all the decks before. Pamela Coleman Smith did a ton of research to put together the best available prototype of decks, which is why it's so important today because most of the modern tarot decks that came after this one. And by now, there are thousands of them. There is a deck for everyone. There's a Star Trek deck. There's a deck for There's a deck for cat lovers. Pretty much you name it, there's probably a deck inspired by your favorite topic. But most of them take their meanings of what each of the individual cards signifies from the original meanings described in the RWS deck. On to question three. What are the major arcana? Tarot cards are basically a standard deck of playing cards. You know, the kind you play Texas Hold'em with. But they just have an extra suit of 22 cards that have pictures on them. Actually quite stunning pictures. You're probably familiar with seeing them from television and movies, especially the death card. They tend to pull it out and play dum-dum-dum when they want to make a point. Anyway, because of the evocative nature of these images, later occultists would refer to them as the major arcana cards, which just translates as the big hidden secret of the deck, or maybe the uh, hidden secret few people know. How's that? Now, these 22 cards took several decades to become a commonly reproduced version, but they loosely follow an occult version of the hero's journey. Now, the hero's journey is a a phrase coined by the mythologist Joseph Campbell to describe a mythological cycle where a hero goes off on an adventure. He feels the call to adventure, um, crazy things happen, he meets a teacher, he falls into despair, he has to slay monsters to come out the other side, triumphant and more self-aware than he was before he started the journey. Basically, the tarot is using that same kind of story arc using images familiar to Renaissance artists. And these illustrate the basic concepts of a metaphysical creation. In other words, how we go from oh, all one divinity down here to our physical manifestation and how we can, after we hit rock bottom, come out the other side as more spiritual beings and return to our divine roots. So these cards call the hero the fool, who's a stand-in for all of us, who's on his adventure of self-discovery. 
So first thing he does is learn about his world and all of the uh, creatures in it, the heroes and kings that he's surrounded by. He struggles to break through the status quo to find a new level of understanding of the world and finds himself in this kind of dark night of the soul that he has to resolve in order to be reborn again with greater wisdom and insight. Now, because these major arcana cards follow such an archetypal journey, they are an ideal tool for helping us orient ourselves in our own metaphysical quest. So no matter what you are doing, from the most mundane chores to the most sublime relationship, you are somewhere in a process of beginning or of being in the midst or learning something new. And the tarot can help you pinpoint the place where you are, where you've been, and where you're going next, which is what makes them such a potent tool for divination, as well as understanding the big picture. Question four, what are the minor arcana? Well, if major arcana just means the big secret that nobody knows, then the minor arcana is the little secret that nobody knows. Or in other words, the secrets to everyday life, as opposed to the really big perennial questions about, you know, why we exist and what's the meaning of life. So the minor arcana have taken on the the flavor of answering questions about the everyday bits of life. And they have historically been interpreted in numerous different ways along the timeline. But again, it was Pamela Coleman Smith who redrew them and put, instead of having pips on them, just like regular playing decks have like diamonds and clubs, and they don't mean much. Well, Pamela and Coleman Smith drew little scenes from everyday life on them. And each scene is like a little bit of a tableau. It's because Pamela Coleman Smith was a set designer and she loved designing um, the concept of humans moving through spaces. Anyway, so the minor arcana have become a point of reference for where we are in our day-to-day lives when we're using them as divination. But on a more esoteric level, they are related to golden dawn ideas about the Kabbalah and how the Kabbalah is a map for our journey from, again, the highest divine down to our physical manifestation. So to truly understand why the minor arcana, each one has the significance that it does. It's not just because Pamela made it up and decided to draw it, although that would work. It would be a perfectly cool kind of oracle deck. What makes them tarot is that they are rooted in the Western esoteric tradition, in this case, the Kabbalah, which is also rooted in the Western esoteric tradition. And so they complement the major arcana extremely well if you know the map on which they are based. Question five, what are the tarot court cards? And there are a lot of what are questions here. Okay, let's dive in. The court cards are the equivalent of the face cards in a standard playing deck. So a standard playing deck uses the jack, queen, king, one for each suit, 
But in tarot, there are actually four. Uh, the page, the knight, the queen, and the king is what they are in the traditional deck, but other decks might give them slightly different names. The point being, they are parts of the regular playing card deck that have faces on them. So you might call them face cards. And there are many, many ways tarot readers have decided to interpret these court cards in their readings over the years. Few possibilities include assigning each one of the court cards to the physical appearance to describe people involved in the question that's being asked in a reading. So things like a light-haired man or a dark-skinned woman or variations on a theme. Sometimes the court cards are assigned to psychological characteristics of different humans, such as an impulsive man, a contemplative woman. You know, one reader went so far as to assign each one of them to one of the 16 uh, Myers-Briggs temperament types that are based on the work of Carl Jung. Sometimes these court cards are associated with archetypal forces, such as the mastery of emotion or the movement of thought, more of an abstract way of thinking about them. Or you could even associate them with the four realms described in the Kabbalistic tree of life, such as the formation of water or the foundation of fire. So all of these are going to depend on what arrows are in your metaphysical quiver for what you are most comfortable working with. And there is absolutely no one right answer on how to do this as long as you are reasonably consistent. And I say reasonably consistent in the sense that the point of tarot is to help you build a bridge for understanding that quiet voice of intuition when it's speaking to you. And when you keep changing your intuition's dictionary definitions or your subconscious dictionary definitions, it's going to be a little bit harder for your subconscious to keep up. It would be like training your dog to sit and keep changing the word for sit because eventually the dog is going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Same thing happens with your subconscious. And so whenever you're learning tarot, you need to find a balance between the continuous learning, trying out new things, and experimenting with possibilities, and yet coming up with a system that works for you because you are, in essence, giving your subconscious a language that you need to be comfortable sticking with. And without that, your answers are going to be less nuanced or less confident. And the final question, question six. What's the best guide for tarot? Well, the beauty of tarot is that you can know nothing about them and still receive powerful insights just by pulling some cards and contemplating the images that you find on them. And as I said earlier, Many of us do not trust our intuition or our ability to imagine is so rusty from years of disuse. We pull a bunch of cards and we sort of look at the go, I don't know what that means. And so understandably, most of us might be looking around for some training wheels on how to get started. Just like the fool on their journey, there's so much more than just using them as a divination tool. 
If you really want to see how deep the rabbit hole goes, you're going to need a lot more understanding of the backstory of tarot. And so you're going to want to dive into the history of when they were created and really how they relate to the rest of the Western esoteric tradition, including a little bit of astrology and alchemy and Kabbalah. And you'll probably find it useful to learn some helpful ways to tap into your own active imagination and how to create magical rituals that allow you to read the cards more fluently if you want to unlock the full power of tarot. Now, of course, you could learn all of these things on your own. You know, thanks to the internet, everything is out there in spades. In fact, there's more than you want to know. Some of it may be more grounded than others. Sometimes it's just someone with their own pet theory, and sometimes it's connected to a larger tradition. But it's all out there if you know what you're looking for. Or you could find a course where all of the pieces that you need, all the essentials are put together. And my tarot course is one example where you get everything you could possibly need in one place. So I cover a little bit of history, the magical and the divinatory meanings of all of the cards, how they relate to the rest of the Western occult tradition, and how to use them in your personal meditations and tarot rituals, as well as how to design and gain confidence in your own uh, tarot reading skill. So everything you need to know in one simple place. That's what you're looking for when you are shopping for potential tarot courses on the market, but feel free to check mine out. You can find out more details for the 16-week course at www.magicandmastery.com tarot. And there you have it, six of the most commonly asked questions about tarot. And I know this because my assistant, Robin, uh, did some research and she's an SEO expert. And so she tracks these things down. But the thing about these six questions is I think they miss the essential question that I hope we're all asking ourselves. Why would you want to learn tarot in the first place? It's always a good question to ask when it takes time to learn something new. Why would you bother with tarot? You know, I think about questions like this a lot when I'm out walking the dog or cleaning the house. I even did a tarot reading and asked the tarot cards about this very topic. And it always comes out the same way. We are at a pivotal moment in history where we literally have to change the world. The world we are living in right now is not sustainable. And humanity itself is at a turning point where we can learn to live in a more sustainable way with the planet and each other or deal with an ever-increasing basket of consequences, many of which we may not like as a species. Why is tarot important in this? Well, because this process is going to involve every single one of us learning how to relate not only to the outside world, but to our inside worlds in a new way, a more creative way that turns the page from our old way of seeing things into something new that we haven't created yet. And the best guide we have for that is not somebody out there 
telling you what to do. The best guide is the spirit of the divine, that divine sparkiness that you carry within you. And I truly believe that out of all the ways to tap into this spirit of the divine, tarot is one of the most efficient systems humans have invented. All kinds of divination have a lot going for them if they are used with the right point of view. But tarot especially is rooted in the concept of how creation occurs, how we move through the world. It recognizes that we all live in a state of polarity and that true creativity comes from learning how to move forward in the midst of a polarizing set of options. How we move from being too hot or too cold to finding something in between because there's never going to be one true way. There's always going to be a multiplicity of options and we all need each other to kind of act as mirrors for one another so that we can all find the way in between. That's where creativity comes from. And tarot itself is built out of that same language. All of the cards of that journey are balancing one versus the other. And as you explore what those polar opposites mean on the journey of the tarot, they can show you exactly where you are at in your own journey and your connection to the divine and even better, where you are stuck, exactly the right things you can focus on in order to find the most efficient and powerfully creative way through. And that's it. Oh, it sounds simple, but it's deceptively hard because it requires each one of us to wrestle with that demon within us that likes to think that we are woke. And we have to redefine even that word, that awakening is not a state that we reach at the end of a game. Awakening is a process that we cycle through again and again to get further along the path that has no end point. And it's that shift from thinking of time as some linear thing at which you reach an end point where you get a cookie. It's not. It is a process of continuing to grow and evolve and assigning labels like I am woke suggests that our ego has gotten in the mix. And so it's much easier to get to the point of recognizing that I'm in process, you're in process, everyone around you is in process and you're certainly in process if you're still fighting with other people about what the one true way is because there is no such thing as the one true way there's only a process of becoming and with that we can end this episode with our experiment which hey no surprises for this week go out and get yourself a tarot deck if you've got one already go find it and dust it off if you haven't looked at it in a while and if you don't have one 
go to your local bookstore, get one off of Amazon or any place else where you can pick one up. They are easy to find. And get those major arcana cards to start with and lay them all out in the journey. It's super easy to do because they're numbered. So start in the beginning with zero and go through all the rest of them and just look at the journey and think about how the journey reflects the hero's journey where the fool sets out and meets the different elements of our consciousness our the point of us that likes to create the part of us that likes to reflect and so on through their journey as we hit the need to change and rock bottom and feel our foundations shattered and then climbing up the other side Without any knowledge of tarot, you will see all that reflected in a very deep way in the arc of the cards. And consider for yourself what that means for your own journey. And if you're really brave, shuffle the cards up, pull one, and see what it means for where you are at right now. Spend some time reflecting on that answer. And with that... I just want to say thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Magic and Mastery podcast. Don't forget, if you want to learn more about tarot with me, my 16-week course on tarot where you will learn everything you need to know to become more fluent in this divine art of self-communication, you can go to www.magicandmastery.com slash tarot and find out more about the course. And even better, right now in November of 2021, all of my courses are on sale for 25% off. So if you type in in the checkout page, holiday 25, it will automatically knock an additional 25% off the price of the course. And don't forget, all of the members of my membership program, The Coven, already get 33% off the courses. So this is an extra 25 on top of the 33% that my Magic and Mastery study group, The Coven, is already getting. So best deals of the year are happening right now. And of course, before you go, don't forget to check out the show notes at www.magicandmastery.com slash podcast because that's where I have all of the timestamps and links referred to in this episode to make it super easy to find exactly what you are looking for. And so again, thank you for tuning in to Magic and Mastery. I am your host, Donna Woodwell, and I always enjoy talking to you on all kinds of magical topics. Before you go, if you just take a moment to surf on over to wherever you listen to podcasts and take a minute to rate and review this podcast. I so appreciate it because it helps me understand what makes you jazzed. And if you really like it, why don't you share it with a friend? 